Brian's having a great time out at the wedding and we just came back from the Bruins Maple Leafs game. And Scott, I will throw it to you first for your opening shift after the Bruins won in the shootout. Yeah, well, my opening shift was about Mason Lorai. Uh made his NHL debut and was really good. And Jim Montgomery after the game said he was dynamite. Um had I thought he had a couple moments early on where he looked a little bit shaky and you know, a couple tough breakouts, maybe wasn't quite up to speed. And then as he settled in, just looked really smooth, really confident was involved offensively, picked up his first NHL point with an assist on uh, Pavel Zaka's, you know, first goal of the game. Um, kind of doing what he what he does so well, which is sort of just walk the blue line. And then in this case, he makes a pass over to Carlo, and Carlo ends up setting up Zaka. But we've seen him walk the line and, you know, take a shot as well. So, um, yeah, just – really encouraging and kind of makes you think, you know, even with one NHL regular season game that the Bruins might have another difference maker here. Um, another guy who, you know, a young player who could potentially step into a big role and, and be a real asset, you know, might be, might be a little early for that, but boy, did he look really good. Yeah. And, and think about it. He might have to stick around because Grizzly went to long-term IR. So one of these guys is going to stick around um, and each guy has to make a case for themselves. And we'll get more into that later. My opening shift is Jake DeBrusque getting his first goal of the season. And you kind of feel like once he gets going, things might just start to get in line a little bit. He had a good game in general, not just the goal and the shootout goal. He also just played really strong throughout the whole night before the goal. And, and after I liked the way that that line had chemistry, I feel like today that was probably their best line. Um, we can talk about that later, but um, I thought to you know, it's 10 games into the season. It's a little late. You'd think for him to be getting that first goal, but now that he's got it, um, maybe he just keeps going strong from there. Yeah. I'd mentioned you know, when we were talking about it, him struggling, not scoring yet this season, you know, I think that was a podcast or two ago. Um, I mentioned how he hadn't been shooting as much recently. And then Monday he went out and had another relatively quiet game with one shot on goal. Well, he had four shots on goal Thursday night. And, you know, not a coincidence that that's the game he ends up getting his first goal. And it was, it was, really probably should have been a really nice assist. Um, a, you know, just a really smooth pass to send in Brad Marchand. Uh, but Samsonov makes a good save on Marchand and DeBrus to his credit, just kept driving and buried the rebound. And, um, you know, I know Montgomery said after the game, DeBrus said after the game, like that's, that's how you got to score goals. They've been stressing this all season that, you know, this is going to have to be a team that scores, grittier goals that gets to the net goes to the front and DeBrusque does it there and, and gets rewarded. Yeah. Both of the Bruins goals were off the rush, like really fast rushes too. Like that, that one in particular was the faster of the two, but you see the transition and very quickly after the outlet, 
and the transition through the neutral zone, the puck's in the back of the net. And in that case, DeBrusque did most of the work leading up to that goal, picks up the rebound and puts it in. So uh, that was that was a lot of credit to him on the breakout and finding the rebound. And then on the other goal, the Zaka goal, it starts with a diving clear by Danton Heinen, who was playing some shifts on that, if you want to call it the top line with Zaka and Pasternak. And so he starts it from the back end, dives it, pushes it out of the zone, and then you end up where the puck comes in to the Bruins' well, offense. That, that was he was in the offensive zone. That he the dive was to poke it back. Yes, sorry. <laughs> the dive yeah, the right. dive was a, I don't know why I call it a clear the di- like just a diving pass. Um, and it ends up with Lorai and then Carlo and then Zaka puts it in. So. It was just another nice play. Um, and Heinen, whereas he kind of looked rusty and Montgomery said so in the first game, he didn't get a lot of ice time, but in his ice time, he was trusted to take some pretty important shifts. Yeah, he also set up what could have been the game-winning goal before it even got to a shootout. Um, made a really nice scene pass over to Pasternak that Pasternak one times off the crossbar. Uh, so you know, definitely a strong game for Heinen does, doesn't get a point as, you know, would have been the third assist, but um, yeah. And, and like you said, like still in fairly limited ice time, he was just over 10 minutes for the game. So it's not like he's getting, you know, a ton of opportunities, but um, did look pretty good. I thought, I thought that whole fourth line looks pretty good. Him, Beecher and Steen. And, you know, you, you wonder a little bit like with Lucic and Lauko out of the lineup, you know, can that, can that fourth line still be heavy enough? Like, can they get in on the four check the same way that they were early in the season? And I thought this game in particular, you, you saw them do that. Like Beecher and Steen, especially I thought were physical and we know Heinen's not, you know, an overly physical player, but you, he was disrupting plays in the offensive zone. He forced a few turnovers. So uh, yeah, I think he's starting, starting to see him get up to speed and and make more of an impact. Yeah. You could see that fourth line have two really strong, like tone setting shifts in the first period where they came out after some, like a say a shaky shift. I believe the Pasenok line had one shift where they were kind of hemmed in a little bit. And then you see the fourth line, uh, get things going for checking strong and creating a turnover. So yeah, as the game went on though, they got played less because of the way that Toronto plays and they don't roll a fourth line that often. So it was like matchup based. They just ended up not a, with as much ice time as they would probably have in a normal game. Um, and to the point about Dan Heinen as well in his second game, he really is in the perfect situation. I know they made him wait really long to sign that contract but the fact that Jim Montgomery coached him in college he tried and clearly in that time in college he impressed Montgomery and created a lot of trust in him in Heinen so you see Montgomery willing to play him as a defenseman last game when McAvoy and Grizzlick were out and in three on three overtime uh and also with some shifts with Zaka and Pasternak today, he's getting played in situations that your normal fourth liner doesn't get played in. And it's especially impressive considering what the beginning part of the season was for Heinen, just 
um, trying to make his way onto the team. And then he's been able to, I guess, give Montgomery a little bit of everything uh, from what he could use him for. He's kind of like a Swiss Army knife. Throw him on the first line, throw him on the fourth line, apparently throw him on defense. and He's trusted. Yeah, by the way, you touched on Toronto's fourth line. Notice who ended up on it for like the last, basically the second half of the game. Uh, that would be Tyler Bertuzzi, who has had a really rough start to his time in Toronto, only three points on the season, and uh, got demoted to the fourth line tonight. And his coach, Sheldon Keefe, like just straight up called him out, like said, we had a simple game plan tonight, and he wasn't executing it. And that, that first, the Bruins' first goal, if you watch the replay of that, he's the one who doesn't take away the passing lane from Carlo to Zaka. He's sort of just floating. It's like he's the left wing. Carlo's the right defenseman. That's his guy. And he sort of just like hovers and lets Carlo move down the boards. And, you know, I, I know like we've touched on, we touched on it before, but the defensive side of his game is not his strong suit. And it, it costs the Leafs there. So, uh, you know, for look, I think Bertuzzi's a better player than he's been so far this season in Toronto, but you know, was interesting to note that, you know, for all the, all the people who thought he was going to be a huge loss for the Bruins, um, the way he's playing so far this year is not much of a loss at all. No, especially for the contracts, which would have made them have to, do all sorts of cap gymnastics and get rid of more players that they, you know, you probably would have had to trade a goalie or something to keep him. Like there was going to have to be a pretty decent sized move in order to create the cap space that you would need for him. He hasn't lived up to it. And the defensive side of his game was something that hurt the Bruins in the playoffs. I know I was probably a little bit more critical of him in the playoffs than you two were, but he had some bad turnovers and he just has a, I don't know. Sometimes he has tough reads on where players are, where they have a stick. Obviously he's a better player than three points, but you look at what the Bruins have and they have James Van Riemsdyk with more points and more goals. They have uh, Matt Potcher with more points and more goals. They have a lot of these people that you were, you have for so much cheaper that are contributing more than he has so far. And I just wonder how Toronto fans, because Toronto fans are not forgiving to, to most players. And even though Bertuzzi, I believe is from pretty nearby to Toronto. He, I know he's from Canada. Um, it's kind of like playing for the hometown team. He might not be getting a hometown welcome if he continues the way that he does. Cause those fans are tough. Yeah. And it was interesting that we can, you know, listen in like the ESPN broadcast up in the press box and they were talking, talking about how like, you know, they start the season with them on the Matthews line. And uh, I think it was Ray Ferraro called it like a square peg in a round hole situation. Like he just straight up didn't fit. Um, you know, that's the spot where Michael Bunting was the, you know, last season and was more of a fit. So now you look at like what Toronto's trying to do with their lines. And it's like Kelly Yarncroke's been on the first line and they've had to move Matthew Nyes up, who's a really promising young player but might not be ready for that role yet. So it's like, that was the clear role carved out for Tyler Bertuzzi. And if he's, you know, if he can't fit there, then it's like, where, where does he really fit in that team? They're obviously trying to figure that out. Um, you know, we are not, we're not a Toronto podcast though. So 
I think that's that's probably enough for Tuesday for yeah, the but episode. This, that's relevant though because yeah, these sure. are like what ifs that we talked about a lot in the off season. These were a big what ifs, well, or how do you keep them? And it was just a weird situation with this one year deal and and you know your Don Sweeney who kind of looks smart right now, uh, just for not biting like taking the bait on a deal that you didn't think helped your team. So credit there. <laughs> 